Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the guitar uh, or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot? <laughs> Whatever you think of me, I'm still your friend. So other than nothing, what's new? The water's still flowing through the rose on my skin. This here tattoo is for you. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that examines the work of Gordon Lightfoot song by song, a proud member of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and with me today is a fellow Lightfoot fan making his third appearance on the show, Jeffrey Coast. Jeffrey, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you for having me again, Mike. It's wonderful to be back. It's hard to believe it's been over a year since I last talked to you, so it's wonderful to be back on the show. Goodness, a lot has happened since then, but it's always a pleasure, and thank you for coming back again. You wanted to talk about Tattoo, which is a song that's buried down in the second half of an album that was not used very much by Lightfoot in his concert catalog, and it's not one of his well-known albums, the Salute album. Why did you want to talk about it in particular today? Well... I really like the Salute album itself. I know it's like one of those albums that's kind of, again, very deep in Lightfoot's archives, but I think it's like one of his best, in my opinion, for what he was going for at that time. I actually like it better than East of Midnight in a lot of ways. I first heard the album, you know, back in 2009 when I was just becoming a fan and buying up all these CDs. And I liked all the electric stuff on the album, but what got me was this is like one of the only acoustic guitar driven songs where that's it's almost like a familiar Lightfoot sound with some newer embellishments from the 80s studio effects and stuff like that. But it's just such a pretty song. And I liked it a lot when I was younger, but I actually had almost forgotten about it up until about a couple of years back when I was on my YouTube channel. I was doing some covers from Salute and I was doing about I chose about four songs. and I did a couple more rock driven versions but the last song i chose was tattoo and i thought you know this i hadn't done this song in a long time and i listened to it and i just kind of fell back in love with the melody and the lyrics and i'm like i forgot what a great song this was so when you know when i wanted to come back on to talk with you again i was like i wanted to pick a song that was not necessarily obscure but something had just a beautiful sense of lyrics and as i've gotten older there's some lyrics in this song that are starting to resonate with me that they didn't when i was a teenager first listening to it it's become one of my many favorites. I can never find a Lightfoot song that's going to have the top spot. There's just too many. But this is definitely, again, just one of my personal favorites. You know, you mentioned the fact that some of the lyrics are meaning more to you than others as you're growing in age and experience. Can you say a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah. There's this big one. Pretty soon I'm going to be approaching 30 in about another month. And when I was listening to the song a couple of months ago, the line that hits me really hard on this song, I don't know why, is that time has been wasting away. I can see it go sailing on by as it slips through my fingers. And then when he 
comes back into it again. He goes, time has been wasting away. You know, time doesn't wait for nobody to find what they're after. It just keeps on rolling on down the deep canyons and all that. And I just thought, man, as I'm getting older, he's right. Because, you know, by this age that I'm approaching, I thought, well, you know, there's certain places I should be at. But I'm not there yet. But it's okay because everyone, everyone's been telling me, you got to get off that time thing, man. Just let life happen as it's supposed to happen. But it's just like the older you get, the more I start realizing, you know, when I was a teenager, for, teenager first listening to this, that didn't hit me. But man, it, it really hits me now. And, and having experiences and relationships since then growing older about, you know, whatever you think of me, I'm still your friend. So other than nothing, what's new? It's just like, you know, I can really relate to the song on a more, I guess you say, mature level than I could just liking it before. Because what really drew me to it when I was younger was the melody. But getting into the lyrics of it now, I feel a connection with it more than I ever did. Yeah. When we get older and speaking as one who has been 30 and I've been 40 and 30 is better, as time goes on, you do realize that you only have a limited amount of time on the planet mm -hmm. and that at some point you're going to have more yesterdays than tomorrows. So I agree with you that he is trying to communicate the passage of time. We'll talk about that a little bit more in context. Is there a time of day or a setting where you would love to just have this as the background to it? Or is this a song that you could listen to absolutely anytime? I think for this song, for me, I think it would be in the summertime, driving as the sun's setting, just kind of like going down the road in your thoughts, kind of like a driving song, just kind of letting the song take you away and let you sort of reflect and retrospect sort of. That's kind of what I feel when I listen to it. You know, for me, it would be near a body of water, probably a moving body of water, like a river or a <laughs> creek, with the idea that the water's still flowing. Water is a great metaphor for time. And again, we'll get back into that a little bit more down the road. The song is not mentioned in Nicholas Jennings's book at all. And from what I can find, Lightfoot never commented on it specifically. But I have heard some scuttlebutt that Gordon did have a tattoo at one point, and I think it might have been on the inside of his forearm, but I've also heard that he had it removed. So do you have an angle on whether he ever had it, whether he had it and then got rid of it, whether he never had it? What's your knowledge of that? Yeah, I would say it's about the same as you came to. I know there is a mention of a tattoo in the Wayne Francis website. I think it's during the 80s chronological time when this album came out. And it said, I think it was of a rose. And I noticed that with Gordon, roses have been a theme in some of his songs, including Dream Street Rose for the biggest one. But also I know in the 70s, he had a pair of jeans that were had a big rose patch on them. And he wore those on the Saturday Night Live performance. I know that when my dad had saw him in the 70s, he, he remembers seeing those jeans. So I think him getting a rose tattoo may have inspired the song. And I'm kind of interested exactly when he wrote it. I don't know if he wrote it during the Salute album sessions or he wrote it a couple of years before, because I know there's some songs he recorded later he wrote earlier. So it could have come from anyone at that time. But I know that I think he did have, in fact, a rose tattoo. I think that's what it said. I think it might have been his form, but I, I find it interesting that he had it removed after time. Yeah, it may have been representative of uh, relationships that he had and lost. And in as much as the man is no longer with us, we probably won't ever know the true story. But right. it's interesting to think about. And the rose tattoo, I mean, there's even a literature by that name. So it's very fitting that he would choose mm -hmm. that of all the things he could use to mark his body with. So the lyrics of this, 
are worth talking about, of course. So whatever you think of me, I'm still your friend. So other than nothing, what's new? And the way I see it is that he's meeting with someone, and whether that's a physical meeting or not, we'll talk about shortly. But he's meeting with someone and he's trying to cut through the small talk. So what's new, which is one of those verbal pieces of confetti that we throw out there trying to break the ice with someone. So other than nothing, the water's still flowing through the rose on my skin. This here tattoo is for you. So I think what he's saying is, yeah, our relationship is over, whether it was romance or an affair or marriage that ended in divorce, whatever, that you've still made an emotional impact on me. And whether it's a metaphor for you've left your mark on me or whether it's talking about here, this tattoo that I'm showing you on my body um, is for you. What do you think? Did I miss it? Or do you think I'm on spot with that? No, I think you're dead on with it. And in fact, when, when the part when you mentioned about whatever you think of me, I'm still your friend is obviously talking to an ex romantic partner. And I have to think that it possibly could be about, again, we don't know when he wrote this song, but it could be in reference to Kathy Coonley, who he was with up until 1982 or so, and then she left him. So we know that she did have a long effect on his life for in that period of time they were together. And it's mentioned in the life of biography, how close they were. And in fact, they were close to being even married at one point. So it could very well have been that it was her that he was talking about, especially because her leaving him with his young child, Eric, was what first snapped him out of to quit drinking. Right. So, and this was the first album that he made after he got sober. And mm -hmm. the opening track of the album is about that. And I've talked about mm -hmm. that in other episodes. The boys at the parlor downtown didn't waste any time putting it down. And then he does talk about this idea of time wasting away, go sailing on by as it slips through my fingers. They just keep on rolling as straight as an arrow. And it's a little fatalistic, but I think he's also acknowledging the fact time happens and when time happens, people change. And it's maybe an acknowledgement, look, what we had, marriage or romance or certainly being in love with each other, it just wasn't meant to be. But we are kind of a victim of time, that our relationship was a victim of time. I think that too. And I also think that sometimes when a relationship ends and not necessarily on our terms, but the others on their terms, we often can hope that, well, maybe time will change things and maybe they'll come back. You know, you think, okay, we'll, we'll take that space of time and we'll see what happens. We'll see, we'll see if they miss me. You know, obviously I miss them, but let's see if they miss me. Yeah, it's always <laughs> that hope that the scorned lover has. Well, they'll see, you know, they'll realize the mistake that they've made and they'll come back to me running or on their knees or something like that. And I don't know how often that really happens, but yeah. Girl of my dreams, you get better each day. I wish I could see you somehow. So that's where you realize this is not an in-person encounter. Mm -hmm. And it may be just a one-way conversation or a monologue, if you will, where he's mm -hmm. talking to a picture of her. Or maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a letter. We don't know. 
it's not something where he can physically lay eyes on her because in 1982, 1983, they didn't have teleconferencing. They didn't have Zoom. They didn't have video calls. So there was no way he could do that if he wasn't in person. And you can't really describe a tattoo over the phone. So what I'm thinking is that if he's not imagining it, then he's writing a letter, like writing it longhand, and he's drawing a picture of the tattoo. And he's saying, okay, I got this on my arm, my chest, my back, wherever, to show him that. And it makes me wonder, gosh, you know, if it was a letter, what kind of form this monologue or this stream of thought is taking? Because we know now it's not a face-to-face encounter. That's a good point, because, for example, yeah, you can say they didn't have Zoom, they didn't have video chat where you could see the other person. And it's also possible that they were not even on speaking terms or maybe she wasn't speaking to him or willing to speak to him over the phone or even in person, whoever this person is. So perhaps he was even writing a letter to say, here's my thoughts on everything. I still love you. In fact, I love you so much. I got a tattoo to prove it to you that this is for you. And so he's like trying to, you know, describing it. And then that also does tie back into the time keeps on wasting away, waiting to see what Maybe he sent another letter before and they haven't responded or maybe time has passed waiting for them to reach out to him and they're not. So, okay, now I'm going to reach out to you and tell you all of these things, including this tattoo. Hey, that might make a difference. You might want to give a second thought to our relationship or it, it, or at the very least, it could be that I'll always remember the good times for this tattoo as a memory of that relationship. We'll be right back to our conversation with Jeffrey Coast about tattoo but first, a word from a podcast partner or two. Hello, I'm JT, a lifelong student of the paranormal and the unexplained. I've spent over 35 years researching and learning about a wide range of subjects, from UFOs and cryptids to ghosts and the supernatural, from hidden and lost treasures to mankind's mysterious past and all other things mysterious and Fortean. Each week, I'll bring you some relevant and interesting articles in this genre, as well as a different topic. Some you may be familiar with, but many you most likely will never have known existed. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. And let me be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained on the paranormal sun. Hey, do you like classic albums? Technically, like, you know, the 20th century albums. Um, such as like Beatles, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> Rolling Stones. I've only had Beatle episodes so far, however, I'll be doing more. But welcome to my show, or rather, hey, welcome to check out my show. <laughs> um, all those years ago, a classic album podcast with the dipping sauce. Um, as you can see, the here and George Harrison reference. Um, I review classic albums. Um, not of those the likes of Beethoven, the likes of the Beatles and Rolling Stones, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, or what have you. <laughs> um, so yeah, check it out. It's every Monday. Um, I do albums, conspiracies, songs, all that jazz. So just check it out. All those years ago, a classic album podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> You know, I wonder, because tattoos, clearly now these days, people can get tattoos removed, but they do leave some sort of a mark. And I'm wondering that when he and Kim got together, that I wonder if that prompted him to have the tattoo removed or whether that had happened before. 
because mm-hmm. I can't imagine she would have been, if there was an actual physical tattoo, I can't imagine she would have been very comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. It would be like someone who's been a playboy for 20 years, then he finally finds the right girl and he's got tattoos all over his arms, his legs, his body about this is the person that I was with. And I imagine the new Mrs. Whomever it is would be, ah, uh, no, <laughs> that's Absolutely. in the past. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. I've been out drinking all day. I got carried away at the parlor last night. And then a little later on, he says, I bothered to wander back into the parlor. So he's admitting that he'd been intoxicated. And he's also admitting to the fact that he had been an alcoholic in the past because we know that he was a very heavy drinker. But even then, he's making this conscious decision to go back to the tattoo parlor. There's nothing in this song where I'm thinking that he wakes up and he's hungover and he looks at his arm and thinking, oh, how did this happen? You know, which is kind of a Hollywood tripe. Somebody who goes out, gets drunk and then wakes up and all of a sudden they have a tattoo of something hideous on their body that they wouldn't have talked about. But he was being very direct about this. He's not hung over. He's consciously made this decision. By this time, he had gotten sober. I don't know if that's particularly relevant or not, but it seems like this is something that he thought about to some degree or another. This is not something he did in a drunken stupor. Yeah. And, you know, it clearly was a conscious decision for him to go do it because who knows that maybe he was contemplating doing that and maybe the drinking as they say, liquid courage, I guess, if you want to call it that, may have gave him the boldness to go get it done. And you know, even in fact, when he says the boys at the parlor didn't mind wasting any time putting him down for doing it, he didn't care. He did it anyway. And as you know, I guess basically, if he, I know that in real life he did, you know, in the biography mentions this, he did relapse, I think, once, and it took his uh, therapist to to uh, threaten to give him these medications that would give him an instant hangover over if he drank again, and that. Gone to quit even more. But uh, it makes you wonder if he used that story and turned it a little because, you know, he's he's an excellent writer telling crafting stories and even taking real life, his own real life stories and crafting them into these really great songs. So it makes you wonder that possibly in his could say maybe despair over this person to get that tattoo, to get the courage, he falls back into drinking that he had overcome and stayed sober from and then went and made that decision. And so that may have been the prompting, but it does sound like that even if getting drunk was the wrong thing to do, he doesn't regret getting that tattoo. He knew what he was doing when he went in there. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, the boys at the parlor didn't waste any time. And I think part of that might have been, we weren't there, but it seems to me it might have been that we better put this on him before he changes his mind because Mm -hmm. he's intoxicated. He knows what he's doing, but we don't want to get halfway through this and have him run out screaming, what am I doing? What am I doing? So strike while the iron's hot and also Mm -hmm. so that he doesn't sober up and come back and how can you do this? Are you crazy? That kind of thing. And I noticed that they say he didn't waste any time and he reiterates that a couple of times during the song. So there's that. And then he uses another great series of lines about the passing of time. Time has been wasting away. You know, time doesn't wait for nobody to find what they're after. It just keeps on rolling down through the deep canyons and through the green meadows into the broad ocean. And I've heard this over and over again. 
life is a river and it ends in the ocean or things like that. Billy Joel's talked about it. John Stewart has talked about it. Roger McGuinn's talked about it, et cetera, et cetera. So just a beautiful thing. But then at the end of each of those, he says the words good night. And I'm wondering, is that saying that there's a certain finality to what he had said in those verses or that cropped out just a little bit. For me, it wasn't uncomfortable, but I wondered why he was saying that. Do you have any angle? Yeah, you know, it's funny because my dad asks me that when we listen, because he occasionally, you know, will listen to the song with me. And he goes, I don't know what that line means. Why does he say that? He always laughs because I like the line. But he got me thinking, good night. I guess that just makes sense. A finality does. He goes, okay. And I really like that about the song because it's like his vocals change slightly when he goes into the times wasting away. You can almost hear if I might say a little bit of anguish in his voice about the passage of time, maybe a little bit or definitely emotion for sure. And it's like, I'm pouring this out and this is exactly how I feel in this metaphor. Okay, we're done. Good night. I got it out. I won't go any further. Like I won't trouble you anymore with this deep thought that I've got because it's a very deep statement. So a good night almost sounds like, okay, here's my input on that finality on that thought. Yeah, I agree with that. It does make me wonder if this is a composite track i mean where he's taken pieces and i i don't know how many takes this thing took and i don't know if there was any way to find out how many takes Mm -hmm. it took to get this song but it makes me wonder whether he was doing something that don henley used to do he'd sing things a line at a time and then during production they'd say okay well this line sounded the best and so let's put that in there and then the next line you had four takes this was the best one you know put that in and then good night may have been an afterthought. I mean, we just never know. And it's a nice way of rounding out those quatrains, but it does bring up some questions because usually when you're saying good night, that's the end of the conversation, whether it's at the end of the date or the end of a TV program or the old married couple climbing into bed, love you, good night. So interesting that he put it there. And that is kind of all I had about the lyrics, but it is uh, beautifully done. And now we should talk about the music a little bit. My favorite musical aspect of the song is there's probably two. Uh, The melody is beautiful and it's reminiscent of some of his other songs. Although Mm -hmm. I haven't sat down and looked at the ledger lines and said, okay, well, this measure sounds like this other song or things like that, but it just sounded reminiscent of other songs that Gordon had written. Then also the synth or the keyboards. Now, I'm a purist when it comes to folk music. I think if you're going to play a keyboard that sounds like an instrument, why not just go play the instrument rather Mm -hmm. than try to make a machine sound like the real thing? You know, and if that makes me a fuddy-duddy, then so Mm -hmm. be it. But the only way I think it could have been any better is if you went out and got an orchestra or a string quartet. And Mm -hmm. that even might have been over the top. So in this particular case, I believe it was either Mike Heffernan or Harlan Rogers who played this. I thought they did that beautifully. So those are my favorite musical aspects. What about you? I like a lot of the things, if I may. The melodies, it almost feels like an ocean wave, kind of like the rolling of the sea. But I love that aspect. You know, as you're playing it, it reminds me a little bit of the opening to Christian Island. Yes, I can feel that because that's like, you know... Yeah, I got that. I'm sailing down the summer wind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. can feel that. Probably that is, the same key. What key are you playing that in? I'm playing it in um, 
A, but technically it's, you know, with the capo on the second fret, which is the recorded key should be G. Mm -hmm. Okay, but, so um, G chord yeah. shapes on the second fret, so Kivik. Yeah, Gordon always used a capo, so mm -hmm. you know, that makes perfect sense. So the melody, anything else about the recorded track that you really thought um, was outstanding? I do. Again, I love the keyboards. There's just, they're nice little touches. The one thing that always got me in the song, from when I first heard it, is at the very end where he repeats the water is still flowing through this rose on my skin, there's like this, almost like a whistle. I can't do it very well, but where it goes up. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's either an actual whistle or, or on, on the keyboard. I don't know. It's just such a nice little sudden appearance, and it adds a nice, interesting depth to the song. But it, it's, it's a very basic track. I would say I do agree with you that if he left the keyboards out, it actually would have been fine because we know that other albums, there's been tracks where it's just him and a guitar, like, you know, Mother of a Minor's Child and The Pony Man with a few simple little things in between, where it's just him and his guitar. So it could have been done that way. But again, we know that, and especially from reading the, the biography and, all, and a lot of his fans noticed that he was trying to go for a very adult contemporary sound. He was trying to fit things in with the times to stay relevant. But um, I think it's very well done. It doesn't sound dated to me. It sounds very good. I just like even when the melody changes and uh, the keys are just placed very so nicely. They're not overdone. They're not too heavy. Which is interesting, though, is you don't hear, there's no really any lead guitar line. If Terry's in there or not, I don't know. But it's not, it's just, just Gordon's guitar and keyboard. It's just very nicely done. And um, I'm not even sure if there's anything or like, I don't think there's any percussion. Or if there is, there might be slight uh, brushes, but I'm not sure. It's just very basic, but. It's nice. It's just a very well, it's not overproduced. It's not too much going on. It's just a nice, well, beautiful melody. It's a very tranquil melody, I will say. It's a bit relaxing to listen to, you know. Those are the elements I like of it. It's just a very nice acoustic song. We'll be right back to our conversation with Jeffrey Coast about Tattoo, but first a word from a podcast partner or two. Boys, every month the Dean and PJ tell you all about the books they've been reading and make some recommendations from our old favorites, plus surprise call-ins from authors to talk about the works that they're writing, original music, prize giveaways, and more. That's Books Boys on BooksBoys.com and all good podcatchers. Books Boys, get it, buy it, books. Sanjay! Sanjay, look! Yes, Zach? Wait, what's that thing you're holding up? It's a time travel device. We can use it to go back to the past and watch movies. But we already do that on our podcast, Oldie But a Goodie. No, on previous episodes, we were pretending to time travel. Now we can do it for real. Cool, so we can really go back to like the 80s or the 90s? No, 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 Sanjay, you're thinking too little. I mean, we could go really far back. Like we traveled back over a hundred years into the past. Oh, but Zach, that's so far in the past. Those movies would be old. Yeah, but, well, a show is called Oldie But A Goodie, so we should, we should probably do old movies. Oh, that's a good point. That's right, folks. This year on Oldie But A Goodie, we're going back further than ever before. Wait, who are you talking to? We're starting in 1920s, doing one movie from that year, and then moving up to 1921, and we're continuing that until the year 1969. <laughs> 
Nice. Join our time-traveling journey through cinema by subscribing now to Oldie But A Goodie out wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's not kind of productions podcast. And that brings us into talking about the people who played on this other than Gordon. Um, there is no lead guitar. There's no electric guitar that I can hear at all. I got to assume that if there was another guitar, it would have had to have been Terry because there's no one else that's listed there that I can find. We don't know who played bass. We may very well have been Rick because he was with the band forever. Hadley Hawkinsmith was also listed as being a bass player. And as I've said before, he was and is a well-known session and touring musician. He worked with Neil Diamond for a very long time. He worked with a number of people in the Christian rock realm. And so he was available and was probably more, a little bit more of the contemporary edge that Gordon was looking for more than uh, Rick would have been at that time. Again, we don't know who was playing the keyboards. It might very well have been Mike Heffernan, who again was with the band until Gordon passed away. But it also might have been Harlan Rogers, um, another person who was very involved with the Christian rock scene in the 80s. We also don't know who did the harmony vocals. Now, Gordon is not well known for having harmony singers on many of his records. And so he might have dubbed his own harmonies. I can't really tell. Carol Parks is listed as being a harmony vocalist, but we don't know what tracks she sang on. She was married to Dean Parks at the time, who's, of course, famous in his own right. Carol since passed away. But the combination is really very well done. And it hasn't aged, as you said. There are other tracks on this album that I really think we're now, you know, it's now over 40 years since he's done it. And it sounds like it's been over 40 years. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that it sounds like it was something that was made in the early 80s. But this one isn't one of those. One thing, though, since you talked about the simplicity of it, is that apparently Gordon never played this song in concert. And I absolutely am stumped about why he didn't do that. It wouldn't have called for an elaborate setup. It's not that vocally challenging, or it wasn't for him when he was recording the album and through the 80s and the 90s and maybe even into the millennium. He still had the range, you know, to pull it off. Why on earth would he have not have sung this song? Any thoughts? Yeah, that's the thing, too. I actually looked up trying to see if he ever did it live. He never did. There's only one recording of him on the Salute Tours, the very first show on February 17th of 83. And it's got some bad marks in the bootleg tape. But he does a lot of songs from Salute. He does not touch this one. And that particular concert, he dropped a lot of his hits just to do the new material. Like Sundown was not even played that night. He didn't even do If You Greet My Mind, which is shocking. That's almost sacrilegious, you know, if you right. think about it. And I don't mean to attack his thinking on that. We don't know what was on his mind or what was on his management's mind. But that's kind of like going to a Skinnerd concert and then not going to play Free Bird or Sweet Home Alabama. Or right. going to a Eagles song and they're not going to play Hotel California. Just thinking, how can you not do that? On the other hand, he was promoting an album. but. People don't go to the concerts of well-established musicians to hear the new stuff, unless it happens to be on the charts at that particular time. Paul Simon once complained to Dylan that they never want me at my concerts. They don't want me to play Still Crazy After All These Years or Hearts and Bones 
or the stuff he did after Simon and Garfunkel. They just want me to play the stuff that I did in the 60s. And Dylan said, well, if I went to a Paul Simon concert, that's what I'd want to hear, too. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and again, like I just had more, like I said, there's multiple songs he did not do. Unless there's gaps in the tape, I could be wrong. But there's like a lot of his best hit songs weren't even featured that night that he would normally do, that he always would do. But I think with Tattoo, it's like he could have done it. I don't know why. I know there's been some songs that are deep tracks on his albums that people love. He's never done live. And even few of them, there's even some like from Cold on the Shoulder and all of them that got maybe one or two plays at Massey Hall. And then he never did them again the rest of the tour. So. I think maybe, and this is just a guess, that the why he didn't play Tattoo was maybe because he was trying to drive that new electric-driven sound. He was trying to generate all the new sounds, go out by the album, instead of going with something that sounded a bit familiar to his audiences. And he was trying to get them to like the new stuff. So that might be why. But that song, too, and even like Naughty Pine, which was performed, I think, quite a bit during those couple of years. And in fact, I think the last time he did it was 2010 at a signing or something. He did do Naughty Pine. but that song is such an obscure tune, including this one. I don't know why he never brought it out of um, into the live setting, like not even once. It's just so surprising because it's such a typically good song that he could put anywhere in his set, whether at the end or towards the middle. And I think the fans would definitely like it because it, it's got the familiar Lightfoot melodies, the familiar Lightfoot sound. I know it, it would be well received. That would be a really good question to ask, and, and unfortunately no one can, why he never performed it. Yeah, and I don't even know if his band would even be able to tell you. Maybe equally interesting is the fact that there's only one official cover of it that I could find. John Guy Barkan covered it. I imagine he did it in French, but I can't find anybody else that covered the song. And of course, that leads me to the question that I always ask around this time in the show, which is if you could put an artist on consignment saying, okay, you're going to play this song, you're going to cover this song. I'll pay for the production. You can keep all the profits. Who would you want to do it? And so, Jeff, who would you want to cover this song? I think James Taylor could do a good take on this because it does sound a bit like some of the stuff he was doing in the 80s. So possibly James Taylor could do a very nice rendition on this. I believe he could really do his good take on it. If I were to pick somebody more modern, one that might actually be able to do it, perhaps, and this is really a, a big stretch, Luke Bryan, mate. The contemporary artists in his generation, in Gordon's generation, and I, I know James is a little bit younger, but I think James's voice is a little bit too light for that. I think Lightfoot having that baritone mm -hmm. uh, feel to it, where it's a little darker, a little heavier. Jackson Brown, I think, might be a little bit closer to the mark. But I can see someone in the country field doing this because... It's a stereotype that rednecks get tattoos, but it's certainly not limited to rednecks. But I actually thought of a couple of country artists that I would like to hear do it. I can hear George Strait do this mm -hmm. because I think he has the gravitas to pull it off. And he also has the tonal quality, same way that Merle Haggard probably had back in the day or maybe Waylon Jennings. But then I'd like to hear Luke Combs do it, too. Because I think, although he's a little bit more good old boy, have a good time, I think he could also do a passable job on it also. It may happen, it may not, but if it does, I'll be the first one to download the song. <laughs> Jeffrey, as we're sort of winding up here, as you said, it's been about a year or over a year, I guess, since the last time you and I talked. And since then, of course, we know what's happened. 
Can you recall where you were and what you were doing when you found out that Gordon had passed away? Yes, actually, I was talking to you. <laughs> we were conversing over um, Instagram about when to schedule this episode. No and, kidding. Uh, it was about maybe a half hour before, and you were asking me what song to do, and we I mentioned this one, and I was looking through some others to maybe if I wanted to do that, and... I was on YouTube kind of looking through, and all of a sudden I see this video that says Gordon Lightfoot has passed away. And I thought, no. And this is going to sound funny, but a few uh, months prior, I actually had a dream that he passed away. No kidding. This is the truth. I had a dream that he did pass away, and I woke up realizing that, oh, he's still alive. But um, I will say, though, I was lucky and fortunate that I had just seen him the last time in May of 22. He came to Akron, which was the closest he was going to come to me. I hadn't seen him since 2016. And my one friend who I had turned on to Gordon Lightfoot, he said, he's coming. You want to go? And we split tickets and we drove to Akron to see him. It was a great show. It was a great time. He loved it. He became an overnight fan at that point and started listening to everything he had. He loved every minute of it. And I did, too. In fact, some guy commented to us at the end of it, uh, you guys are probably the youngest people here under 40. <laughs> it was kind of funny, but um, it was. Such How a good did that make you feel? I mean, when you found that out, you know what? I felt good because I almost want to tell the guy, but you know, I said, you know, see, even younger people can have good taste in music. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good though. It's kind of a tragic irony that you and I were talking right before we found out, and the world found out that Gordon had passed. That, in a weird sense, I'm kind of honored that you and I were able to be talking mm -hmm. about it at such a critical and a tender time. Well, Jeff, this has been a lot of fun and something that we've talked about again for, you know, many, many months. And let's not make it another year before you're on the show again. Absolutely, Mike. I hope it's going to be very soon again. I'll be looking forward to coming back on again soon. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your listening matter. Our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com. I'd like to make a special request for you to visit my Patreon page. I love this show so much and I want to keep it going, and you're in a position to help. Please head over to www.patreon.com slash carefreehighwayrevisited. A dollar or two a month is all I ask. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Well, our next episode will feature my guest, Michael Howitt. He will be making his fourth or fifth visit to the show. He and I will be talking about The Mountains and Marianne from the 1968 album, Did She Mention My Name? And that episode will be coming out in February of 2024. Until then, for Jeffrey Coast, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.